You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Today we are in the second part of our series, Relationship Status. And... uh, we, we, as a culture, especially if you've been on Facebook any length of time, uh, I'm, I'm learning that there tends to be, like, I, I thought I was doing pretty good by joining Facebook in 2010, and then I realized, like, all my kids say that that's done, and they've all moved on to something else, and, and everybody's moved. So, so here's what I found. A few years ago, we used to update. If you got engaged, you updated your relationship status. If you started dating somebody, some of us have a relationship status that says it's complicated. I don't know, even know what that means, but you got that. Uh, and then, of course, when we get married, well, Facebook wasn't even a thing when my wife and I uh, met and got married. And actually, this week is Valentine's Day, by the way, so I'm, I'm throwing that out there for any guys that still need to buy flowers. Get your reservations, get prepared. I'm helping you uh, get that ahead. In fact, our, our first Valentine's Day actually turned into a date, but just a few weeks before, we hadn't started dating yet. We met each other at church serving Jesus. Uh, that is the best place to meet somebody. Come on. Uh, and, and following Jesus, we're actually, we're, oh, we're doing outreach, like our teams do outreach, and, uh, and, and I reached out to her. Yeah, that was a good day. Uh, and we actually just started as friends, built a relationship of friendship uh, for about two weeks. And then, uh, and then we started, literally, uh, a month, and then we started dating for a month, and then we, I, I, I said, yes, this is the woman. Come on, Jesus. And uh, I actually proposed, because I just, I couldn't keep her away. So I was like, here, I'll marry, let's go. Um, and we got married <laughs> just a few months later, actually less than six months after we met, five months after we met. Uh, and listen, there's just, we are coming up this June on 17 years of marriage. And I just have to say uh, how much I appreciate and value my beautiful wife. And we couldn't have done it without Jesus. I mean, there's just a reality. Uh, and so, uh, but I'll just tell you what, when that first Valentine's Day, I, right before we started dating, I said, um, I didn't want to put too much pressure and make it weird. So I was like, hey, what are you doing on the 14th of February? I am real smooth, you know. Uh, thankfully, by then, uh, you know, I, I got her flowers and it was, you know, we're actually dating. Okay. Uh, but, but today's message title uh, is We Need to Talk. We Need to Talk. And as we look at relationship status, it's not so much just whether or not you're single or married or if it's complicated. In fact, I actually believe this is a message for everybody because all of us have relationships in our life that God wants to help us with and that we can see become healthier and better in our lives. And, and, and communication is a part of that. I don't know that anybody's ever said we need to talk and then had something that was really encouraging right afterward or, or it was a but a real positive. But what I got to say today is, I believe, vital to having better relationships. Uh, as, as we look at this, the status of our relationships is what matters the most. Uh, and all of our relationships, if we're honest, can get better. They can grow better, healthier, more life-giving. We all have areas we can grow. There is not a perfect relationship on planet Earth because there's no perfect people on planet Earth. Jesus is the only one who's perfect. Uh, and sometimes his family uh, was having some issues around him. And so, uh, listen, that's the that's just reality because the world is broken. People are broken because of sin, which entered into the beginning. And God has given us his word and a relationship with himself to not only see our relationships change, but for those to change, we change. I told you that last week. If we want our relationships better, we need to get better. And, and I'll really dial in on one particular area today. If our relationships are going to get better, our communication needs to get better. Everyone is communicating. Our words communicate, obviously. But you know what? Our actions communicate. Our schedule, what we prioritize and make time for, 
communicates what we value. Our facial expressions, some of your facial expressions right now are communicating. Our emotions, our reactions communicate. Our distance communicates. And so, in fact, I I think for our relationships to get better, the quality and consistency of our communication must improve. uh, Communication must be clear and it must be consistent because it's actually in relationships, unmet expectations usually lead to frustration and even resentment if we're not careful. And I think the reason why most of us have resentment or frustration in a relationship is we've not first even talked about it. We've not first expressed our hopes and dreams and expectations in that friendship or that family relationship or even in that marriage. And because we've not expressed it, we're frustrated by it. What hasn't happened? Communication's vital. In fact, as a pastor over 20 years now in ministry, in some capacity, I've seen, I've, I've counseled a lot of couples I've seen what works and I've seen what doesn't work. I've seen God do miracles in marriages that people wrote off and said will never change. And I've seen God do supernatural things. And I've seen marriages that look great on the outside, but we're struggling. And oftentimes, if I can just get a couple talking, not at each other, but actually to each other and with each other, they can connect and reconnect. And I think communication is vital because everyone does communicate, but not everybody connects. And it's vital that we establish, in fact, I've got four uh, levels of communication. We're gonna put all those on the screen quickly. And, and, and here's what these are. The first level of communication is just simply this, it's surface level. It's when we just, you know, how's the weather? How are you doing? Most of us probably had surface level communication even today. And that's not a bad thing, it's how we start. It's how we build trust and relationship. In fact, trust often takes years to build and minutes to break. So communication builds trust, surface level communication is where we start, but if our relationships are gonna grow deeper, and this is for every area, those that we work with, those that are our friends, our family, and of course our spouses, or those we're involved with in dating, that we need to move past surface level communication, and this is for the guys too, by the way, who maybe struggle like me sometimes in this area. But we need to move into general, not just general information where we talk about our lives, how's your family, how's our things at work, but then we begin to open up and begin to be vulnerable on some level, like I talked about last week, vulnerability. We're, we're not transparent with everybody. We're real with everybody. That's necessary. But there are some people we need to be vulnerable with, and you've got to have somebody in your life, especially if you're married, your spouse, that you're vulnerable enough with that you're able to communicate how you really feel about something. And there has to be enough trust to be able to share how you feel and enough willingness without a reaction that shuts down that we're able to talk about how we feel, but also what we really need. I think as husbands and wives, we need to have conversations about where we're struggling the most, where we can grow. Have you ever asked your spouse, where do you need me the most? And when do you need me the most? Is there somebody in your life, if you're not married, if there's somebody that's a friend that that you're willing to be real enough with that they know when you're discouraged? They know when you're weary. Does your spouse know when you're most tempted? Does your spouse know the areas where you're the most discouraged and you feel like quitting? Because if they don't know, how can they pray for you? 
How can you build intimacy and connection? Because that's what communication does. It gets us on the same page. We need to be on the same page, but it also reduces surprises. Has you ever started a job and they didn't give you the full job description? I, I said that first service and all my staff started laughing. I don't know why. But, but, but it, there's always that like, what we don't communicate on the front end of, of a relationship always affects us on the back end of that relationship. It affects us later down the road. And here's what I think it's important that we're willing to reduce surprises by our communication. Communication builds closeness. In fact, for us to be closer to God, we need to pray. We need to communicate with God. For us to be closer with each other, we need to talk. We need to communicate with one another. In fact, I'll say this, don't wait until you have to talk to talk. Don't wait until you have to, to start working on your marriage. Some of us think the only time we should have those conversations is when we're in crisis. In fact, I've found that the healthiest marriages are willing to deal before the crisis with where they need to grow. Don't wait until a crisis to begin to talk, but actually start today. Be willing. In fact, the best time to work on your marriage is right now. I know, Matt Jenna, beautiful, and she looked good in jeans, still does, come on. And then I found out in communication, women are different than men. Apparently you're surprised by that. I, I, like I, I found out she has a lot of words. Like we'll sit down in the morning. We actually establish this as a habit in our relationship. It works with our schedules. We sit down at the beginning of the day and we have coffee just about every day together. Uh, one, because I am no good to anybody before coffee and Jesus. Uh, but then we'll sit down and we'll connect. We'll talk, we'll share. And, and uh, she'll share more than I share. Typically that's okay because women have a lot of words. Many times I'm not trying to generalize. And, and have you ever asked your husband, you've asked him, uh, you know, maybe he went off with, you know, some buddies for a fishing trip or whatever. And he gets back and you ask him, uh, how are they doing? How's your friends? He's fine. How's their wives doing? I don't know. We didn't talk about it. How are their kids? I don't know. What did you talk about sitting in a boat? I don't know. Fish. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put this picture up real quick. If we can throw this up there. Um, this is a super generalization, but the top is men. If you can't read it in the back of the room, the top is men. The bottom is women. I hate to break it to you. I know the world says there's no differences. There's some differences. And, and it's not a, can I just tell you, they're not a bad thing. Differences are not a deficit. Differences are a strength. Differences are an opportunity for growth. The reason why your spouse is different than you, why those people in your life are different than you, is because God's created relationships as the, the furnace by which we grow and tr are transformed. It's, it's the means by which he shapes us, changes us, and especially in our closest relationships because it's easy on a surface level with people to avoid real change. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. We don't really deal with us. And then your first year of marriage, you find out just how selfish you are and how much you need to grow and how different you are. And that's not bad. The problem is when we think differences are deficits. And even as the church, like we're all different. We all have different gifts. We have different uh, strengths. We have different weaknesses. And, and, you know, when I was younger, I had a lot of food allergies. And I found out an allergy is a bad immune response where your immune system essentially attacks your own body. 
And here's what happens when we allow our, our, our differences to create divisions. How we process, how we think. My wife thinks differently than I do. And, and, and we reach decisions differently. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually God put us together so that we can develop together. We can grow together. We can, because God puts in her what I need. He speaks to her differently than he speaks to me many times. And he'll give the wisdom I need in a moment to her to draw us together and vice versa. And God will do the same in his church. He takes the, the body of Christ, the church, and he puts what one of us needs in another person's life. And he brings us together. And sometimes we fight and argue because we think our differences have to be divisions. But instead, God brings us together to actually grow us and shape us and transform us. And our differences become strengths that grow our relationships and grow our life and our future. And what's amazing is God multiplies the impact of our lives when he brings us together. And I know we're different. That's not bad. Sometimes I can just, I, 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 I want to fix stuff. Any, any guys learn that you can't always fix everything. Sometimes you need to listen. Sometimes what she wants to hear is, is that you're there and you're, you're going to, be there for her instead of just trying to come up with an answer and a solution. And instead you grow together and God will do that for both of us. God will grow us as we're willing to learn from each other. First Peter 3, 7 actually says, husbands likewise dwell with your wives with understanding. Isn't that funny? The Bible actually said, understand your wives. You say that's impossible. Well, here's what the Bible says, Mark 10, 27, with men it's impossible. <laughs> but not with God. For God. With God, all things are possible. Okay, moving on. Uh, let me give you four barriers to communication real quick. Number, there, there's four things that I think are barriers to communication. The first one is this, it's withdrawal. We withdraw from each other. Maybe it's because of our differences, how we process, how we think, what we consider priorities, whatever it is, and we begin to distance ourselves. Maybe we take each other for granted. We've been together long enough to take each other for granted. And that, that, that person that you once pursued passionately, now you just, they're there. And you're just there. And you don't realize you're still supposed to pursue your spouse after you're married. Maybe you prepared for a wedding day, but you didn't prepare for a marriage because that's what our world does. And here's what happens is we begin to withdraw. We begin to become distant and little issues, little problems, little arguments begin to fester and grow until we divide and maybe it's not through anything major or seriously bad, but it's something small, a little fox that spoils the vine that isn't dealt with, and it creates distance. The second thing that is a barrier to communication is not just withdrawal, but it's escalation. Proverbs seventeen fourteen says, the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Deal with it before it becomes a major issue. What's the, what is strife? Strife is not only contention, but it's when we provoke each other. I, I'm not gonna ask you if you have somebody in your life that pushes your buttons. Because maybe you do that for somebody else. Like you know the thing that gets under their skin. You know the comments, you know the words, you know the things that create a reaction and it escalates if we're not careful what's a minor difference and a minor conflict becomes something major. And we gotta be careful about that. Usually these things are a battle over our, our rights and being right and, and our relationship, instead of something life-giving, actually becomes like a courtroom case. Long before it shows up in a courtroom, by the way. 
There's a conflict that isn't dealt with in a life-giving and healthy way. Here's what the Bible says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, so that means in my relationships, I'm either speaking life to them or death to them. I'm either building up the people in my life or I'm tearing them down. And those that love it, it says in Proverbs, will eat its fruit. In other words, what we speak as life and death actually produces a harvest in our life. And I think our escalation and our conflict and our issues starts with this very thing, that we don't first listen to God in our relationships. We don't bring our relationships to God and surrender them to Jesus. We don't put him at the center of that relationship. We don't even, in some cases, even ask him, should I date this person? Or should I be close as a friendship to this person that has very different values? And, and, and let me just ask you, if you know the story, Abraham, one day God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to go to a far country, a place I'm going to show you, and you're going to inherit a promised land. And he says, here's what you have to do first. Abraham, leave your family. Now, he's not talking about his, his wife, Sarah. God says, Abraham, bring Sarah with him. But he says, leave the rest of your family behind, your extended family. Abraham was not willing to do that. In fact, here's what Abraham does. Abraham, instead of obeying God, brings Lot, his nephew. And it's not long until they encounter strife and quarrel and conflict and they both had businesses. They both took care of animals and sheep. And, and there was fighting between all their people. And, and they couldn't dwell in the same land together because they were two very different people. And Abraham says to Lot, here it's Abram. He says to Lot, he says, we just can't do this anymore. You go find a piece of land. You go right, I'll go left. I'll go left, you go right. And they begin to separate and here's why they're different, because Abraham says, pick out whatever piece of land you want. Lot looks out and he sees the best looking piece of real estate, but it happens to be where Sodom and Gomorrah are. And while it's the prettiest land, it also has the greatest compromise to dwell in it. And Lot's willing to choose that. In fact, he's carnally minded in that he chooses what looks best, but will cost him more in the long run. But Abraham's a man of faith. He listens to God. And, and, but, but here's why there's a difference. Now, I realize there's going to be, all of us have people in our life that we didn't choose that relationship. Some of us are related to them. That's okay. We need to value and invest in those relationships. That, that's not what I'm saying. But there are some relationships we've chosen that we never ask God. How is this influencing me? And we wonder why there's strife and conflict. Often strife is a result of my own personal pride. If I have strife around me, it's usually because I first have strife in me. It's hard to forgive others when I haven't received God's forgiveness myself. In our conflict, things that are little issues become big issues. Here's why. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What's your responses what are your responses like when you communicate, when things escalate? Number three is like it, instead of just escalating, sometimes our communication is belittling. We cut people down to size. We use our words to tear down and make them small so we feel big. We sometimes will use words that, I, my wife and I, when we first uh, did our premarital counseling, it was great because we had this precious couple uh, that they, they had uh, worked with hundreds of couples prior to us, except they always were post-marital counselors. We were their first premarital. They're like, we like you guys. You actually like each other. It was great. But they told us something that they saw over and over. 
in communication in broken relationships. They said, when you talk to your wife, Jenna, when you talk to your husband, don't say you never. Don't say you always. Do you know what we do? We, we, we tear down to size by going, you never do this. You know what we're saying? We're attacking identity instead of behavior. We're saying this is who you are. You know what that does? It escalates often, or it tears down and we, one of us gets silent. You never, you always, or we'll say something like this, I knew you would never do that. I knew you couldn't. Do you know that some people's whisper in our lives is actually a shout? Some people have such an impact in our lives. Listen, I want you all to like me, but I really only need Jenna to like me. And if her words carried a weight, and they do, it's a weight that, man, if I got her encouragement, let's go storm hell with a water pistol. I don't care how many people don't like me. I got my wife on my side. Let's go. She's, she's, she's in my corner. And that matters because her whisper is a shout. Our parents, their whisper is often a shout. As a parent, I'm a parent, many of you are, your whisper is a shout. What do I mean by that? It means that what you may think is a minor statement can carry far greater weight than you recognize. And I know when they're teenagers, they don't seem like they're listening. They're listening. And your words carry weight. And some of us today, if we're honest, are carrying the weight of somebody's words that while it may have seemed like a whisper, it's been a shout our whole lives. You'll never be enough. You'll never be able to do this. No one's going to love you. And we hear that voice and that maybe it was a, a, a person we looked up to, a family member. Do you know that those who have the greatest capacity to encourage us also have the greatest capacity to wound us? Maybe it was a pastor, a leader, another Christian. Somebody you looked up to and their words have carried weight and rather than bringing life, they brought death. Here's the good news. Jesus gives you a new story. He gives you a new identity. You're not who people said you are. You are who God says you are. And what man tore down, God can build up if you let him. Proverbs 26, 18. I know sometimes we say stuff, and if you, look, if you think sarcasm is a spiritual gift like I did, this verse is for me and you. Like a maniac, listen to this, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. I mean, come on. Put that on a Hallmark card. Um, is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. No big deal. I was just joking. I didn't really mean that. And we tear down instead of building up. <laughs> Here's how serious that is. It says it's like a maniac with flaming arrows of death. I mean, I don't know even what that means, but that's just pretty crazy. Do you know what it means? It means our communication has an impact. What we don't think is serious is often perceived as serious by somebody else. The last uh, barrier to communication, then I'm gonna give you some positive uh, things to help you build. But the last one is false belief. False belief is when we have a lie that we accept, thoughts that we receive that actually become words and words that become behaviors. Everything finds its beginning as a thought. In fact, the thoughts you sow today in your life, you will reap as actions tomorrow. Frustration with your spouse compromise that you accept, whatever it is, what you watch, what you listen to, the people you're around, the circles you put yourselves in that you choose. If you're around gossiping people, guess what's gonna start happening? You're gonna start gossiping. 
If you get around people who are bitter, I tell you what, you could have 300 people in a, in a, in a, in a church and the two bitter people will find themselves together. It's, some, it's like a magnet. You got problems about, with those people? Me too. <laughs> if you get around bitter, they're not at this service. Okay. You get around bitter people, you start becoming bitter. We gotta be careful what we allow to filter into our heart and our mind as thoughts because they will affect our words and they will impact our actions. And here's what I know, communication is also spiritual warfare. The devil comes to steal, kill, destroy like a thief. The way he does this is he divides relationships. He starts with homes and families and marriages. He does it in churches. He does it in cities and in nations. He divides. Why? Because a divided house cannot stand. He can't defeat, so he divides. And I think the number one way he does that is by twisting our communication. So I, I, if you ever get a weird text from me, I'm just going to give you the disclaimer. If you ever get a weird text, totally misspelled, or for some reason it's got something that doesn't sound like me, it's probably because I told Siri to send this message to you. And my, <laughs> I do talk to text. It's a, I know, it's, it's ridiculous, but I, I, that's the only way I send text generally. And so most of my texts, I go back and read it and go, I didn't say any of that. But somewhere in the, the, the words leaving my lips, going through my phone and being sent as a text message to somebody else, the words get twisted. I've even had Siri change the words to swear. I'm like, I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry, I didn't say that. But you know, the enemy does that. He takes the words, the thoughts, the assumptions, the attitudes, the suspicions, and he breaks apart relationships. As, as a kid, I used to love watching National Geographic specials. I was, I was a typical boy. Like, man, I want to see that lion chase the gazelle, take it down, and just eat it. Just go to town. And, 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 and uh, you'd watch these. They'd be in, like, it'd be in Africa, and they'd, they'd go up to the, the, the little pool of water, and all the gazelles come close, cute little gazelle, and it, it, it dips its face down to the water line and it starts to drink the water and it has no idea it's inches away from a crocodile. And you're watching, you know it's coming. Like, here it is. And what does the crocodile do? Sorry for being graphic for just a minute. If there's a baby squeamish, just plug your ears. Okay, the, the crocodile grabs the, the, the gazelle, usually by one of its limbs, like snap. And it's got a hold. And you know what the crocodiles do? If you ever see how they take their prey down, they twist and writhe their bodies. Literally, the crocodile will spin its body to dismember its prey and take it apart. Then it eats it. And you know how the enemy, you know the, the Hebrew word for a crocodile in the Bible is Leviathan. And Leviathan's mode of operation, the enemy's mode of operation in relationships is to act just like a crocodile taking down its prey. Take hold of, twist, and take apart. And the enemy goes after marriages the same way. He goes after people the same way. The biggest movie of last year, one of the biggest movies, was the Oppenheimer movie. And full disclosure, I watched it on VidAngels, took out all the bad stuff. But, but this movie had an interesting story arc where Oppenheimer, who's the uh, father of the atomic bomb, is meeting with Albert Einstein, who's well-known as genius of the last century. These two men are meeting, and there's a, 
conversation they're having that's private and, and it, you don't find out till later what it was. But, but the guy who introduces them, his name's Strauss, and he sees these two great geniuses, great intellects, these two great minds discussing and talking to each other and he automatically thinks they're talking about him. And Einstein walks past him, doesn't say a word to him. And he thinks, what did he say to him? And immediately, in fact, it sets up the, the, the conflict of the whole rest of the story in the movie is this guy becomes the greatest opponent of Oppenheimer and does everything he can to sabotage and undermine and go into conflict with him. And here's why I say all of that, because a lot of our conflict started with a suspicion that may have been a false belief, something we assumed they thought, assumed they said. And you know, we usually judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. Well, I didn't mean it. But we go to war against other people's actions, words, with suspicion, and we begin to have false beliefs, and the devil comes along and uses those very things to twist and destroy and separate friends, destroy marriages. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. He says, you forgive somebody, I'm forgiving him too. For if indeed, if I've forgiven anything, I've done it, I've forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. There was actually a problem. The church forgave this person. Paul says, I'm gonna forgive him too. Here's why, verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us. How in the world could Satan ever get an advantage against the church of, of the living God? Here's how. He says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now devices there is not your phone in your pocket. It's literally in Greek, it's thoughts, strategies. The devil puts a false belief through a thought, that if we'll accept it becomes a lie and we'll begin to separate from people we're called to love. We'll hold on to bitterness and grudges instead of forgiving. And Paul says that actually is the scheme and strategy and intention of the enemy to divide and to conquer. Communication is spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. Let me say that one more time. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Ben asked his wife on her birthday what she wanted. She said, I want to be eight again. So in the morning, he gave her her favorite bowl of Cocoa Pebbles. Took her to the theme park that day. They rode every ride. Tilt-a-whirl, the death drop, roller coasters. They got popcorn, candy, cotton candy, ice cream, and caramel apples. Even got her her favorite soda. After they returned home for the night, she collapsed on the bed, her eyes shut. Just then, he leaned over and whispered into her ear, Esther, honey, what was it like to be eight years old again? Her eyes popped open. She sat up and looked at him and said, I meant I wanted to be a size eight again. George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's actually taken place. Slow to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I wanna give you seven quick things. I know it was seven, I'm gonna go through this real fast. But these are practical things that I believe if you'll apply these to your communication, you'll speak life and not death. You'll, your relationship will get better, communication will get better. First one is this, it's praise. What does that mean? means you celebrate those people in your life. You celebrate each other, you celebrate your spouse, you celebrate your kids. 
You celebrate those that you're friends with. It's not just about you, but you celebrate their accomplishments. You celebrate what they're doing well. In fact, that word of celebration and praise is like this, Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly or fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's tremendously valuable. One person's praise of another actually can cause them to run, to be encouraged, to be built up, to take on anything. In fact, here's what I know. What you celebrate, you actually get more of. There's a great story in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Uh, we won't turn there for time, but uh, the story of David before he's king. He's called to be king, but right now he's in exile, and he's actually fighting battles to protect Israel. He's got a group of guys that are called the mighty men of Israel. And they're like the Navy SEALs, man. These guys are the toughest, the best, the strongest, the best well-trained, and they are taking out Israel's enemies to protect the people with largely nothing in return. They come to this, this guy's property. His, this man's name is Nabal. Nabal's name in Hebrew means fool. And David comes to him and says, hey, Nabal, we've been protecting your property, fighting off your enemies. Do you have lunch for my troops? Could you just spare anything for my guys? Nabal hears this and responds with tremendous, especially in that culture, tremendous disrespect. Who is David? Who are his guys? I don't care. I don't know anything about you. I'm not giving you anything. Do you know, let me just speak for the, the, the need of a man. The greatest need of a man is actually not unconditional love. It's actually unconditional respect. So the Bible says in the New Testament in Ephesians, husbands, love your wives unconditionally as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Lay your life down for your spouse. And it says, wives, see that you respect your husbands. Do you know that guys will never get into a fight with another guy because, man, you didn't love me. You were so unloving. Never seen that. It's usually disrespect, like, right? They'll go to war over there. In fact, that's what David does. David gets his troops. He hears what Nabal the fool has said. He says, guys, saddle up, get ready, get your swords. We are gonna take this fool out. They get their troops ready and they march towards this man's house, his property. And, and Nabal's got a wife named Abigail. She hears what her fool of a husband has done. She goes, I gotta do so. I gotta bail him out again. She goes and meets David on the road before he has a chance to draw his sword and kill Nabal. She meets David on the road. You know what she does? It's amazing. She appeals to the king in David. She says, David, before you kill before you fight this battle, consider how you always have victory because you fight the Lord's battles. In other words, don't pick up a grudge and take matters into your own hands. You fight God's battles, not your own. You know what she's doing? She's ignoring the fool and speaking to the king. Now, Nabal will die, not by David's hand. And David goes, I gotta marry this girl. He takes Abigail as his wife. Do you know what's amazing in that story? I think in every man... There's a fool and a king. Some of us are spending all of our time talking about the fool instead of speaking to the king on the inside of him. And you know what's true of all of our relationships? There's gold, except that gold sometimes covered with some dirt. And we can complain about the dirt, we can point at the dirt, we can talk about the dirt, but what if we called to the gold on the inside of them? You will get more of what you celebrate. That's why praise is important. I'm gonna spend a lot less time on these next points. Let's go through these. Number two is appreciation. Appreciation. When was the last time you didn't just think something good, you said something good? As a pastor, I, I, I officiate 
memorial services and funerals. I've done several over my 20 years of ministry. One of the things I see over and over is people speak in a eulogy of somebody that they lost, somebody that they love, but they're sharing something they never told them while they were alive. Why wait until that moment to show appreciation for the one that you care about? Well, they know I love them. Have you told them? They know they matter. Have you said it? If you think of something good, say something good. Don't wait. Show appreciation. Show appreciation for your kids, your spouse, your friends that took time to be there when you needed them. Tongue has life and death. Show appreciation. Number three is affection. God actually uses affection to draw us to him. He said in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I've drawn you to myself. God uses his love to draw us. Every person alive on planet earth has two needs. Well, two things they desire. To be needed and to be known. Everyone. We all want to be needed. We all want to be known for who we really are. God sees that. God draws us. But God uses in our relationships, especially those closest to us, affection is how we draw them closer. And as a husband and wife, affection builds intimacy and closeness. Can I just speak to the guys for a second? I know we have a mixed room and there's some kids in the room, so I'll I'll not say what I want to say. But guys, don't just have your only affection have a string attached to it. Have an agenda. Like, I'm giving you a hug, but there's a reason. Come on, lights are going down. Come on, somebody. Like, like, like have a build affection, love unconditionally. I know there's sometimes conflict in marriage. There's often many times conflict in marriage. And yet we build what we sow into. We receive and reap what we first plant. Affection builds closeness. Number four is encouragement. If our words tear down and have the capacity to tear down, what if we built up through encouraging others? Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, what they need, not what you need, not what you're wanting, but what they need, that it may benefit those who listen. Truett Cathy, who is the man who not only gave us the world's greatest chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, said no one ever died from too much encouragement. Keep encouraging, keep building up. Don't just tell them what's wrong, encourage them. Speak to the king. Number five is kindness. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who keeps me in check. And I'm thankful for my wife who often agrees with the Holy Spirit, (laughs) I found. And they both help me be kind when I'm a little harsh. Like Jenna, sometimes she'll pull me aside and be like, hey, um, what you just said back there, or said on the phone or said to that person we walked past, uh, that was a little harsh. It wasn't very kind. So, you know, have you ever thought about what it's like to be on the other side of you? <laughs> I'll leave that there. We'll just. And so it's good to have people in your life that help you with that. And I don't want to, the older I get, to be more harsh and hard-hearted towards people. We want to grow our capacity to love. We want to be kind in how we communicate because kindness always wins. So here's what I found. People won't usually tell you you're unkind. They'll just avoid you. I'll leave that one there too. Okay, number six, last two. 
speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Uh, God uses the differences in your relationship to not be a deficit, but to actually build you. And here's how. Somebody has to speak the truth in love. Somebody has to be willing to tell you what's true and what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. You've got to have people. I, I think if you're married, it's got to be your spouse. And you need some close friends. If you're married or single, you need some people in your life that really know you and that you trust enough to let them tell you the truth. And you, go, you don't get defensive. They're not walking on eggshells, but they're able to tell you the truth. Here's what Proverbs 27 says. A open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. You know why I think a lot of times we don't receive maybe correction or somebody speaking the truth in love is because, man, we've, we've had criticism and we're afraid of criticism. Do you know what the difference between criticism and what speaking the truth in love is? Criticism is always to tear you down or pick things apart. But I don't take criticism from people I wouldn't take the opinion of. Hello. Some of us are still messed up by a critic, a comment, a statement. If you wouldn't take their advice, why would you take their criticism? That'll help somebody. So, but, but here's what happens. God brings people into our life. We invest in relationships, build trust over time, and we allow people to speak into our life in a way because we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. All of us have blind spots. We don't have it all together, and we need somebody who loves us enough to tell us what is true. The last one, number seven, is prayer. Prayer is communication with God, but prayer is a vital tool to build relationship, connection with each other, and put Jesus at the center of your marriage, at the center of your friendships, at the center of your family. It's, it's not two Christians married together or two Christians who are friends that have a successful relationship. Like if, if just our Christian mingle profiles line up, that means we're going to have a successful marriage. I wish that was enough. But actually, no, what actually builds a successful, God-honoring, but life-giving marriage is that you daily put Jesus at the center. But I'm right! Well, what if it wasn't about who's right and it was about what's right? Do you know how you find that out? Prayer. Oh, it's really hard to stay angry when you're praying with your spouse. I'm speaking from experience. It's really hard to be prideful and pray together. Why? Because you're approaching the throne of God together. You're asking God for his help. You're inviting him to be at the center. Oh, church, if we would just get this, the, the couple that prays together stays together. The relationships where we invite God to be at the center actually produce the greatest long-lasting results that we could ever have. Because why? God does what we can't do on our own. Man, I can... I can nag and manipulate and try to control and try to change somebody in my life. I can do that with my kids, my friends, my people I work with. I can try all of that, but I will not produce the changes that I want to see happen unless I invite God to be at the center of it. That's why prayer is so vital as a, as a means of communication, because we're inviting God to be there together in prayer. Here's what uh, Jesus said. I've got two verses left. Here's what Jesus said about prayer together. If two of you Agree on earth concerning anything. 
I, I think it's funny that he just said anything. <laughs> like the bar's not even that high. Do you know why it's tough? Because agreeing is tough. He says, if you'll just agree, I can do something. If you'll just come together in prayer, I can answer. Heaven will come. Heaven will provide. Heaven will move, hev- move mountains on your behalf. You know what prayer also does? The very next verse is where two or three are gathered. Jesus, I'm there. My presence is there. My power's there. My promise is there. What does prayer do? Prayer joins you together and invites God to be at the center. I know, guys, some of us, it's intimidating to pray with our wife. We think we have to pray for 30 minutes. We have to pray in King James. We have to sound as spiritual as somebody else. No, no. You just take a moment. Pray together. Ask God to move. God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. God, when was the last time you prayed about a major decision? Invite God into this. Invite God's wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, the Bible says, he can ask God. Here's what happens when you join together in prayer. The Bible says that one can chase or defeat a thousand, but two, with God's help, can chase 10,000. What does God do with your prayer life together as husband and wife, as a family, praying with your kids? And my kids have some of the coolest prayers. We had our kids' ministry. If you don't know this, at City Kids, our kids are learning to pray. And some of their prayer requests, they're just like amazing. They're like, can you pray for my dead pet? So if you have a cat that has been long since gone, it's not our fault. I'm just, but I love the simplicity of a child's faith. If you'll find friends to pray with, and you know what the church is? It's a place where we can have somebody pray with us. So now do it alone. Say, God, I need your help. We all need God. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. If our prayer team would come to the front. Now I know I give you a lot today. And I know with you know, four barriers of communication and seven things to add, all that. It it can be a little intimidating, a little overwhelming, but here's what I know. If you'll just take one of these, just one, just one that the Holy Spirit highlights, one barrier that needs to come down. One, One thing you need to add to your communication with those closest to you. If you'll just do that one thing, what, what's the one thing in your communication, in your relationships, if that one thing changed, it would have the biggest impact? There is not a perfect relationship in this room. There's not a perfect marriage in this room. But all of our relationships can get better if we'll invite Jesus in the center. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.